welcome uh, those of you that are first-time guests. My name is Skip Bowersox. I'm one of the pastors. And this is Aaron. Uh, why is there also one of the pastors? And we just want to, uh, I just hope that you are made to feel welcome here, that you're glad to be here. If you are a first-time guest, uh, you can, if you would, find your way over to the information table after the service. We have a gift for you from a ministry that we support and also just a, a little thing for you to fill out if you would. That's right. I appreciate that. So, uh, actually, let me cut you loose. Okay. Do your thing. Are we in Ecclesiastes still? Proverbs. Proverbs, that's right. Proverbs, that's, right. that's right, yeah. I, we were there last week. One of the other wisdom books. That's right, yeah. that's right. Yeah, so good, so such good stuff. Just real practical. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for Aaron. Thank you for, uh, for Proverbs as well. Mm. And we just trust that we're going to hear from you through, through Aaron and this book. And, you know, uh, just to appreciate how... These little, these little nuances, these little details of our lives, uh, that you have a heart for those things, that you have given us instruction for these little practical parts of our lives, and not just, not just the, the, the big spiritual lofty ideas, but you mm -hmm. want to come and meet us in these small areas. And so, Father, we just make ourselves available to you for that. Mm -hmm. We're grateful for that. Thank you so much for Aaron, who he is to us. Um, and, and what you've given him already this morning, for this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Skip. I'm going to grab my notes here. All right. You guys ready to learn? You ready to hear from the God of the universe? Such a lofty, crazy expectation, right? And yet, he's the one who said, hey, if you come together in my name, I'll be there with you. Why don't you open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7. We're going to read a story. Actually, it's one of the only uh, real stories in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, of course, is a book of uh, wisdom principles. And uh, as Skip introduced last week, the book of Proverbs is a conversation uh, that a father is having with a son where he is essentially attempting to uh, personify uh, both wisdom and folly, that is the way of life and the way of death. Uh, well, in this section, uh, the father is going to tell a particular story. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to read the story uh, for you. And then I'm going to go back through and tell the story in three different versions of the story. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to save a little bit at the end to give you some real specific application, but this story makes its own application. So uh, this is a story about a particular kind of seduction, and yet all types of seduction are the same. Uh, this is a little bit of a spicy story, uh, but everything that entices the, uh, the earthly or the sinful appetites works according to the same principles. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the story, and then I'm going to retell the story in three different ways, and then at the end we're gonna, I'm going to give you a couple real specific points of application that I want you to walk away with. So are you ready for that? Yes. All right. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. 
Do you guys know what a lattice is? Can you back up one? Mmm. There it is. It's Greek for Venetian blinds. Now, how many of you are creeped out by this image? A few of you, yeah. It's important to understand that um, this is not just a story deposited in Scripture. This is a story told by an older, more experienced person who has been observing something. He's been watching something unfold. And he's relating what he has seen uh, sort of as a, a bird's eye view. He's relating the experience of having witnessed the story unfold to someone who is younger and inexperienced. So this is the storyteller. And here's the story. I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, which I know is rare for young men, but this guy is special. Passing through the street near her corner. Now, if you've read this before, you already know who she is. We watched The Lord of the Rings, you know, over the holiday, and the second movie ends with, she could do it. And so my children spent like a week trying to figure out who she was. Remember? Yeah. No? Shalab the spider, right? This is sort of like Shalab the spider, but slightly more human form. Passing through the street near her corner, he takes the way to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home, she is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer my peace offerings, and today I have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt, I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Don't try it. <laughs> Come, sounds like a YouTube challenge. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. And at the full moon, he will come home. And with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him, and suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, 
or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. So, let me tell you the first version of this story. I want to answer five questions in my version. Who, what, when, where, how. The first version of the story is that this story is a story of a young man. Right? It's a story of a young man. This young man is not presented as an immoral person. He is not lecherous or treacherous. He's not even necessarily a foolish person. The Proverbs has much discussion about the foolish man. But this young man is not presented as the fool. He is presented as a naive young man. He is the young man who lacks sense, meaning he is clueless. He doesn't get it. There's a lot he doesn't understand. There's a lot he doesn't know. There's a lot he doesn't see. He is ignorant. That's who the character is. And what is he doing? The story never clearly defines his intentions. It says that he was passing through the street near her corner. His intentions are not clearly defined, and yet we can tell from the story that he is curious, he is naive, but he does not have a clear outcome in mind. He does not actually seem committed to a particular end game. And you'll see how that unpacks here in a second. This is a young man who is guided by impulse. He's guided by appetite. He's guided by curiosity. And when does his story take place? It says at dusk, at twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, in the darkness. And there's almost, as he wanders, the the storyteller presents a progression of growing darkness that as he continues closer and closer to her place, it goes from twilight to evening to in the darkness of the middle of the night. It's actually the black that's used to describe the black of a person's eyeball. It's inky black. This is when it takes place. And where is he going? You know the location. Her street. And how does he get trapped? How does this unfold? Through many persuasions, through flattering lips, she entices and seduces, which reveals his lack of intention. If this young man goes there with intention, he doesn't need to be enticed or seduced. He knows what he's after. 
This is a young man without clear intention. And so she works to entice him and seduce him. And then I think one of the key uh, words in this passage says, and suddenly he goes with her. Now I read that and say, suddenly? What do you mean suddenly? This was not suddenly. No, it was suddenly. Because this was a young man without purpose who is making his decisions as he goes. And there comes a point in time where after her many enticements, after her efforts to seduce him, suddenly, now, he is committed to a particular outcome. As an ox goes to the slaughter, I thought about showing like a YouTube clip of that, but that would be terrible, wouldn't it? Aren't you glad I'm not showing a clip of that? You're welcome. As one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, he does not know the cost. Anybody here moose hunt? few of you. That's right. Felicia. There I am in the woods. Beating on a tree with an oar. Making as much racket as I possibly can. And out tromps a bull moose. Curious, guided by impulse, guided by appetite. The one I shot this past year, I shot him one time, and he did not flinch or take a step. He dropped and went underwater, and I didn't see him again until I went over to him. The author actually is trying to seal that image in your mind of, of a beast that has no idea what it's walking into. And yet what it's walking into is its own demise, its own destruction. Clueless all the while. That's the first version of the story. Now let me tell you the second version of the story. The second version of the story is a story of a cougar. Okay, maybe she's not a cougar. We don't actually know her age. <laughs> but she's definitely wily. second version of the story is a woman. She is not naive. She is not inexperienced. She is not without a clue, and she is not without intention. Father tells his son she is dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. What he's trying to bring together, she has presented herself in a certain attire, and that attire has a motivation. It has a reason. Now, you don't have to spend any time uh, in our uh, cultural environment to have heard the term used, slut shaming. Have you guys heard this term? It's essentially a term coined to express what happens when one person confronts another or a woman 
on her, uh, her, her dress, her attire, her physical appearance by accusing her of being seductive by intention. Now, I would suggest maybe you not make it your goal in life to confront other people whose attire you don't appreciate. Like, I've never found that to go well. <laughs> However, she is not innocent. She has a purpose. She is meaning something with her attire. She is cunning of heart. She recognizes that sexual encounter is as much of a visual encounter as it is anything else. And she is purposeful in her decision making. She is boisterous. So if you're loud and outgoing, I'm sorry. No, Skip addressed this last, last week. She's boisterous, meaning she is hungry for attention. She's grabbing for attention. And rebellious. She is morally deviant. And then it says, her feet do not remain at home. Now, there's probably a time in our history where someone would have taught that and said, so the solution is women should never leave the home. But that's not what the author is saying. This is the same author who wrote the description of Proverbs 31. She's rarely at home. She's too busy. Her feet do not stay at home. What the author is, is, is trying to tell his son is that this is a woman who has lost her, her enthusiasm, her inspiration, her passion for her primary calling. What is her primary calling? She's married. She has a husband, possibly a family, and she is bored with those obligations. She's on the hunt. What is she doing? Her intentions are clear. It says that she lurks. Such an ominous word. Stop lurking. She seizes him. When does this happen? Yes, it's in the night, but for her, there's even more information. She has paid her vows and offered her peace offerings. She says, I want you to know that I have made myself right with God. So we're okay. I am, I am astounded by the level of sexual immorality today that is being characterized as within the will of God. It's a blatant lie, but it's one that she's embraced. I've made my peace offering, I'm good. She has preemptively justified her own immoral actions. And then she goes further. She says, I was so amorous for you. I have carefully and thoughtfully heightened the sensuality of this moment through my preparations. And it all seems like it was carefully planned out, carefully laid out, carefully thought through for him 
But remember, although he went to her street, where is she at? Scriptures, the, the, the storyteller. She is now in the streets. She is now in the squares. And she lurks by every corner. This is not for you. This is for her. My husband is gone. There is no one to cause us trouble. Where is she at? She is everywhere. And how does she attain her goal? Through many persuasions, through flattering lips. Flattery always has a goal in mind. Flattery is encouragement with a dark purpose. She entices and seduces. Now I want to tell you the third version of the story. You guys can make it through another one. Third version of the story. The primary difference in this third version is the where. There is a young man lacking sense. He's naive. And he's in his own home. In fact, he is tucked away in the safety and security of his own bedroom. But this young man lives in a world that has never been seen before in the history of humanity. Because in this world, her street is paved right through his home. This young man is wandering, but he can wander without ever leaving. He's not an immoral person. He's not a lecherous or treacherous person. He's not even necessarily a foolish person. He is a naive person, lacking sense. He's clueless. He's ignorant. He doesn't understand. He doesn't really know what he is after. He doesn't necessarily have an end game in mind, but he is driven by impulse, by curiosity, and by appetite. When does this story unfold? In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, in the inky darkness of an imaginary world where anonymity is almost guaranteed. A world that is so convincingly real that his own body doesn't know the difference between the two. Behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot, cunning of heart. She is smart. She seizes him, kisses him, 
I've spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. And suddenly, suddenly, he goes with her. But in this version of the story, there is a third person that I want to introduce. In our version of the story today, there is a young woman. She also is at home. She also has not left the safety of her own residence, her own house. And yet within, within the safety of her own home, she too is wandering Wandering without leaving, wandering without going anywhere, because her home, like his home, has been built on her street. She's not an immoral person. She's not a lecherous or treacherous person. She's not even a foolish person. She's a naive person, a young woman lacking sense, a young woman who is clueless, She doesn't really know what she is after. She doesn't necessarily have an end game in mind, but she is driven by impulse, by curiosity, and by appetite. And what is she doing there? She's watching the harlot at work. She finds herself intrigued with the dance, with the game. She is observing and learning that her value is a factor of her external desirability, and that desirability is a superficial game where the beautiful win. She's learning to dabble just to the extent that her young mind is able to justify presenting herself as an object of desire and experiencing a rush of excitement when she has the audience of a thousand approving eyes. And suddenly, she goes with her. I'm going to give you a couple pieces to chew on. We do live in a reality that has never existed before. We live in a reality where a naive youth with almost no effort, with no intent, and with no accountability can become as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. Our cultural environment, which is primarily experienced online, is seducing young people into bondage before they even know the meaning of the word. I have an article um, that... Uh, 
I'll make it available too if you email it to me. Um, it's actually called the porn circuit. Uh, understanding your brain connected to uh, sexual habits. But there's some things that they're discovering, and this is the situation that we're in right now, and this, this impacts uh, our capacity as people of God uh, to move fully towards freedom. What they're discovering uh, through brain-based research is that there's a number of things going on. First of all, uh, the reward chemical like, uh, like oxytocin that is supplied during these experiences, these uh, sexual encounters, sexual experiences, is more addictive than any drug that's available. Secondly, as these experiences are habituated, the body begins to overproduce hormones, therefore supercharging the drive. Not only that, but thirdly, uh, these encounters, in these types of encounters, the body produces something called dopamine, which I'm sure you've heard of, which just sort of adds to the cocktail. But one of the things that dopamine does is it helps the brain crowd out all competing voices and stay focused on its task. Isn't that phenomenal? That's the effect of sin on the mind. And we live in a world now where young people who are not bad people, who are not immoral people, who are not foolish people, who are simply naive, find themselves wandering in to the fetters and finding themselves in bondage before they even know the meaning of the word. And as the case with anything like that, to be in bondage is to lose agency. I'm no longer in charge of myself. To be in bondage is to lose the capacity to will or want my way out. To will or want my way out is no longer sufficient. Welcome to 2019. Number one, don't be naive. Don't be naive. Parents, don't be naive. Young people, don't be naive. Don't wander without purpose. Wandering without purpose always gets Aaron Weiser into trouble. Don't wander without purpose. And don't ignorantly or naively leave your children to wander without wisdom, without oversight, without careful instructions, without safety. I find it fascinating, in the last couple of years, the number of articles I've read that are indicating that the leaders of the biggest tech companies in the world right now have one thing in common, and that is that they don't let their children use their technologies. Isn't that fascinating? Because young people don't have the tools to sort through it until it has become so powerful in their life that they cannot escape it. 
Don't be naive. There is no reason for us to be naive. The conversation between the father and the son is so that the son will not be naive. Number two, teach and model that which is truly good. First Peter 3, speaking to young woman, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. Notice he doesn't say it should not be external. He says it should not be merely external. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious in the sight of God. Develop in you a heart of character, a heart of integrity, a heart of wisdom, which is so valuable, not just to you, but to God. Titus 2.6, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Remember our storyteller? Is he still there? There he is. Storyteller has two things that are tremendously advantageous to the young man. First of all, he's seen it all. And secondly, he's willing to talk about it. Let me tell you what I've observed. Let me coach you so that you won't be that naive young man. Let me walk with you. And then I want to end with this. I want to speak for a second to those already in fetters. I'll invite the worship team up. To those already in fetters. Satan will use any method to keep you from enjoying relationship with Jesus. He will do anything in his power to rob you of that. And what I have found over and over again for those who are in fetters, it's actually not the fetters that sabotage their efforts to walk in that relationship as God intended. It's the shame of the fetters that keeps people in bondage, that keeps people in the dark. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much? None. When? Now. For who? For those who, by trusting in Christ, by placing their faith in Him, have been given the gift of His righteousness, which has qualified them to receive His Spirit. 
It was never about your righteousness anyways. There is therefore now no condemnation. And I know some of you have heard other voices that have communicated a competing message of condemnation. I want you to know, there is therefore now no condemnation. 1 John 2.1 My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if any of you sins, if any of you finds yourself trapped in sin, stuck in sin, unable to overcome, if any of you finds yourself in the dark and in fetters, we have an advocate. Someone who is on our side against sin. And that is Jesus Christ the righteous. He is your most valuable player on your team towards walking in righteousness. You know, if you're there, if you're in fetters, if you've felt the arrow through the liver in your own life, there is therefore now no condemnation. Not here at Church on the Rock. Not with our leadership. We'd love an opportunity to walk with you. Reach out. The chance of you walking in freedom is 100% because of what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf. Make a commitment today to take a step towards freedom. Would you stand with us? We're going to celebrate Christ and his righteousness and the gift of freedom that he has promised us, the gift of life. Every time that we gather together, we have communion available. There's a few stations around the room. It's our reminder. It's our continual reminder that it is the life and righteousness of Jesus Christ, his blood, his body, in us that gives us life. If you'd like to give, now is the time to do that. There's offering receptacles around the room. Uh, if you'd like to receive prayer, we'll have a couple people over here. If you have prayer for any need whatsoever, uh, they would love to pray with you during a worship time. We're going to come before the Lord and worship. Uh, would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for the full picture of your truth. That you've not only called us to a life of wisdom and a life of righteousness, but that you are our advocate in that pursuit. Help us, each one here, take steps towards increasing levels of freedom so that we can walk in all of the promises, all of the joy, all of the goodness that you have made available to us. Thank you, Jesus. Hello? There we are. Hey, Aaron, that was beautiful. Excellent job. Uh, thankful for the Lord's truth this morning. How about you? And Aaron, I want to say, too, that I heard you say that uh, although this is somewhat of a specific type of uh, temptation that you're addressing, that the principles go through all kinds of temptation. Is that right? Um, I would say to you this morning that if you are struggling with 
connecting with and buying into the beauty of what God has to offer you, right? If, if that is something that is distant from you and you're, you're just wrestling with, uh, with uh, buying it, uh, I would encourage you to consider what it would look like for you to invest in God's beauty. What would it look like for you to begin to turn your heart, to begin to acquire an appetite for what the God of the universe has said is ultimately quality, right? So begin to consider that. And if you are somebody who is attracted to, curious by, and drawn to beauty, I would just remind you that this today we celebrate the God who, who makes an exchange of beauty for ashes. And so whatever mess you're in, whatever situation you find yourself in, he is more than willing and able to make an exchange and turn that into beauty. Right? Amen. Would you turn to him? Would you, would you consider following him? Even beginning this moment without any further delay. It's just not necessary to wait any longer than this moment. All right? Well, the Lord bless you. Before you go, I want to say a couple of things. One is it's set free. So glad to have you guys here this morning. Yeah. They're going to be... Can you, can you guys hang out? You want to hang out right here, right here? And then if you want to talk to them about anything, uh, uh, how to get involved, or even just how, what their ministry can do in your own life, they would love to talk to you about that. I want to remind you that the women's, uh, uh, the ladies' night out is coming up. If you haven't registered for that, go ahead and do that very soon. Also, of course, there's junior high, senior high youth group tonight, house church, and today is Drew Simpson's birthday. Woo! Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. So give him a hug. He likes that kind of thing. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.